This is Class, an official podcast of the Democratic Socialists of America National Political Education Committee. My name is Elton L.K. You're listening to part one of DSA's session called Emergency Workplace Organizing Committee, Reviving the American Labor Movement from the Socialism 2022 Conference in September. Note that since this is from September, there are a few things, such as the rail worker events that have happened in the meantime. If you've been listening to class, we recently ran a two-part series on socialists in the labor movement. This episode focuses less on socialism and more on EWOC, an organization helping workers organize their workplaces. I want to encourage everyone listening to this episode to consider reaching out to EWOC if you're not already a part of a union. I'm particularly excited about this episode because it captures what I believe is the core of socialism, liberation and democracy in the workplace. The workplace is just one of many places in which we need liberation, but within capitalism, it is particularly strategically important. It is in the workplace where we must sell our labor power in order to feed our kids and put a roof over our head. The more power we have in the workplace, the more power we have over how we live our lives. Winning socialism will not be easy, but we will never get there without worker empowerment in the workplace. Daphne Tier moderated the discussion. She is now the Labor Education Coordinator for EWOC. We have a number of guests in this episode. Elsie is a community and union organizer for the past 36 years. For the last two years, he has served as a volunteer organizer for EWOC. Tristan is an organizer with the Illinois Nurses Association and formerly one of two staff with EWOC. Through EWOC, other staff positions, and volunteer efforts, he has worked with dozens of union locals. Tegan is a former student at the University of Chicago's Masters in the Humanities program, where she studied indigenous art and curatorial work. While studying there, she worked at a local tea shop. She and her co-workers organized their workplace with the help of EWOC. Olivia is a current medical case manager working with adults living with HIV and AIDS at Howard Brown Health Center. She was one of the initial staff members brought into the organization campaign for Howard Brown Health Workers United shortly after EWOC helped reconnect them with INA, who currently represents their nurses' union. Gabriel Winant is a labor historian at the University of Chicago. His book, The Next Shift, the Fall of Industry, and the Rise of Healthcare in Rust Belt America came out last year. I have with me a, a great panel of speakers that I'm going to let speak in just a moment. I will tell you, in case you don't know, that Emergency Workplace Organizing Committee, which I'm from now on going to say EWOC to reference, is an organization that was founded in the early COVID days in 2020. It was a collaboration between United Electrical and Radio Machinist Workers and the union and uh, DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, in an effort really to help workers who were in, in needed immediate assistance to combat difficult situations in their workplace that came up during that the early days of the pandemic, as, as you all probably know. And it has evolved over time. We've grown. We have a, like spoken to thousands of workers, helped in many hundreds of workplaces, and uh, 
have a couple hundred uh, volunteers that help do all of these things that we're doing. Elsie, <laughs> I'm going to let you come up here and speak from here if that's okay, and I'll just uh, pose some questions to you. Okay. Will you tell us a little bit maybe more about, um, you know, just about like how the organization runs or like what happens when someone comes to us? What do we... Okay. Well, the, uh, the organization is run by uh, volunteers. I mean, I'm a volunteer organizer. I've been volunteering for almost like two and a half uh, years. What happens is someone sort of like uh, contacts the, the sort of central like EWOC uh, line. Uh, we have sort of folks who sort of talk to them about what the issues uh, at their uh, workplace are and what they want to do. And once that happens, then they assign uh, those uh, people to organizers. And someone like me, you know, I, I want everybody, primarily because it, as an organizer, it helps develop your skills. Now, I've been doing this for 36 years, but I don't know everything and I'm open to learning. And with a lot of these like uh, campaigns, I've learned a lot just from the folks themselves. Now, you mentioned before a distributive model. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, one of the things is about like EWOC, which I find incredibly sort of fascinating, is you can do this organizing from remotely. Now, as an organizer, I'm used to going and knocking on folks' doors or trying to track people down, having sort of like organizing committee meetings, having demonstrations uh, with folks because I'm on the ground with them. With this distributed organizing model is, you know, they, they're in some other state, some other city, and you're doing the exact same thing in terms of, you know, what, organizing, uh, having organizing committee meetings, uh, having like uh, demands, marching on the boss. You're doing that same thing. It's just as an organizer, you're not actually there uh, with them. But it's a model that actually really, really works. For an example, uh, ESPN, during the uh, George Floyd uh, rebellion, these uh, workers from ESPN like uh, contacted uh, EWOC. And one thing they wanted to do was ESPN came out with this sort of you know, social justice uh, statement. So they wanted to like uh, make sure that ESPN followed through on this like uh, this social justice sort of statement. So it was like uh, the producers, mainly a lot of producers who do the college football shows. They they came together and they had a, they marched on the boss and wanted ESPN to uh, you know live up to their social justice like uh, uh, statements and they did. All right. Now, I wasn't there with them, but we were organizing. We were having meetings. We were, we were like, what are the what are going to be the demands? How are you going to get those demands through? So it's the same sort of organizing. It was just remotely. So I'm doing it all remotely. And a lot of what uh, EWOC does is a lot of remote organizing, which is really sort of like uh, really new. It's new and it's exciting uh, as well. And I think that uh, with the pandemic, you know, with, with all the problems the pandemic caused, I think that it did like uh, help with these new emerging organizing strategies and tactics. Yeah. All right. Thank, thank you. Elvis. Yeah. Thank you. Um, maybe you can kind of piggyback off of what um, 
Elsie was just talking about and talk a little bit more about what kind of organization EWOC is and what sort of support we offer to people. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, EWOC has also changed uh, pretty significantly over the years. So when EWOC first started up, it was really a Google form and a WhatsApp chat um, like that. The I think it was the second day of the quarantine shutdown. A lot of labor organizers who are connected to the Bernie campaign got uh, a literal SOS text uh, because this Google form had just been sent out uh, through a Bernie campaign email. And within the space of like 48 hours, we'd already gotten hundreds of workers reaching out to us saying, yeah, we need help. This is feels dangerous. Um, at that point, I think we had like 20 people in the chat. <laughs> um, so very quickly in the next two months, we had nearly 1500 workers reach out to us uh, with maybe a hundred volunteer organizers, you know, getting involved in this chat. So we set up a Slack, which I know for most of us is a horrifying idea, but uh, it allowed us at least to start to really think about how do we build a digital structure that can take in this amount of uh, just this amount of people and get them connected with somebody who can actually work with them effectively. And so from that basic funnel idea, we started to build out a training team. We built out an organizing team. We built out a communications team that actually like, you know, functions around uh, what the strategies of how do you actually put a form like this, you know, a digital form for workers to reach out through in front of a wider and wider pool of workers. Because at first we were starting with just people on that Bernie list, people who uh, were, you know, in that sort of either the DSA circle or the DSA concentric circle of people who know DSA members. And over the last two years, that, I, I mean, if I can brag for a second, I will say like that comms team, I think is probably one of the most intelligent and creative, like comms communicate, like communications teams in the labor movement right now. They are coming up with, I mean, they do like, they pitched like Reddit AMAs as a way to bring more workers in. And of course, like half of us were like, what's that? Um, and then it brought in like 30 leads in, you know, like an hour and a half, two hours. So like they keep just coming up with these ideas that are like on the cutting edge of what people who have digital literacy can actually use. Um, as far as like, how do we actually provide that support and what kind of support? So on this distributed idea, you know, I think one of the most unique things about it is that if it's going to work, it means that the workers have to understand what they're doing well enough that they can do it on their own because we aren't going to be we're, we're not going to be at that march on the bus with them. We're not going to be, you know, in the room with them for, you know, uh, coming up with a petition or, you know, doing something like that, uh, at least not always. Um, and that does mean that, like, it is a higher bar for organizing. Like there's nobody that's gonna carry this on their shoulders as like a staff person or as a volunteer organizer in the room with you. And that made it so that we had to up our game on what we were thinking about as like real training for people. Like what did training really look like? What did it mean to actually get people prepared for a fight like this? And it's why when these campaigns work, they tend to work. Like they tend to work and stick and like, I think one of the most interesting things is seeing all of these little labor fights that are starting to build up across the country and just being like, I recognize that face. Oh, I, that person looks familiar. I know that name. And it's just, you know, 
individuals here and there, people who've touched the organization. Cool. Uh, but, you know, that is kind of how we do it. Uh, the last thing is uh, the kind of workers. I think one of the most unique things is that uh, this is definitely the highest population of like queer and trans workers that I have ever worked with. Um, uh, maybe it's because of the digital literacy aspect of it, but like there are uh, probably over two dozen campaigns that I can think of off the top of my head that were led explicitly by trans workers. And like, especially given the sort of like traditional labor movement, like thinking around, you know, like uh, inclusion, I think that's rad. Cool. Thank you. Okay, so that that was a bit of a, a a little bit of an overview of the picture in general. But now let's talk specifically about some campaigns, and maybe we'll start with you, Tegan. Um, and will you tell us a little bit about your experience organizing, and maybe some of what is what were some of the challenges? challenges, sorry, that you faced while organizing? So I was kind of caught between a rock and a hard place at my tea shop place that I was working at. It was just fast food service. And all I knew was like, my boss was kind of throwing me under the horse a little. All of the workers were working like solo shifts and we were all just completely like downtrodden. And we kept bringing up individual complaints only to be met with like complete resistance. And I happened to have a friend who was working there who actually knew what Ewok was. And we ended up getting connected to Gabe, who like literally was like having phone calls with us, having meetings with us, telling us what we could do to actually make change happen. Um, so without that, I would start, we would not have gotten where we did. Um, so some of the challenges were actually pretty obvious from the start, which is that when you're like a minimum wage food service worker, you can't really afford to push on like a strike immediately or because there's no fallback money for a lot of us. Um, so the other issue that we faced was that our boss's sauce is extremely expendable, which meant even if I said, I'm not coming into work unless you want to change these conditions, your boss says, great, just quit, find a new job and hopefully they treat you better. And then they rehire someone put them in the exact same situation. Oftentimes the people that they hire have no other choice or they might even just be high schoolers who don't necessarily have the experience yet to recognize when their boss is treating them unfairly. Um, so finding the resources to actually have someone to look you in the eyes and be like, how you're being treated is not the way you should be treated was a major aspect for a number of people who are on our campaign. The other issue was time. Uh, the longer that you're doing this back and forth with your boss, people just get burned out. They start thinking in the back of their heads. I know for me, I held three fast food jobs in the course of like a year and a half. Um, you're thinking in your head, I could quit this job and I could start somewhere else. And I could take my chance on the next boss that I'm gonna have. So when you're organizing people who are all in that situation with you, many of whom have had even longer histories of doing this over and over again, it's actually really difficult to do a long drawn out kind of campaign. Um, so speed was like a major aspect of uh, how we approached organizing. Cool, I, I feel like that is actually pretty typical of a lot of, of the organizing, not only of a lot of the organizing happening right now, but a lot of peer, people's experience in the workforce is, is that kind of both precarious job and also just feeling like, oh, maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll be find some greener pastures. Um, 
Did, did you want to talk maybe about how you overcame some of those challenges? Definitely. Um, part of it was how fast we could organize. We literally, like, we're a small group, which meant you have eight workers who are essentially, like, running a store. Um, and we had all of each other's, like, personal numbers, which made it really easy to be like, hey, I'm having difficulty um, they're not keeping up their end of the bargain. And then within a day, we could have something to the boss about like collective action between everyone who, while it is easy to kind of push back against something you can plan against, we were oftentimes able to make really quick decisions as a group because of how easy it is to coordinate among like a smaller staff of people. Um, the other thing is we were like, we were located in Hyde Park, which is just a very pro-union area, which meant that we had a ton of support from like DSA and like the grad student union nearby. Um, and there were just a lot of resources that were open to us in that way. And of course we already had experience in the form of Ewok who was helping us. Um, so we were able to not only produce like terms that were a little bit more intimidating than if we just wrote a complaint box and handed it to them, we were able to set up a structure so that we were like, we're walking out on this day. We want to have a meeting by this day. If not, we're contacting these people. Like it was being able to know what your options were as well as, um, yeah. So I think like all of those things work together in our favor in a huge way. Great. Thank you. Um, uh, I don't know if, um, Gabe, did you want to add anything to that? I know that you worked with Tegan. Uh, on that campaign. Sure, can I talk to this or should I come up there? Uh, if I project like this, can people hear me? Yeah, yeah? okay. Um, I guess just briefly, I would say that um, the thing that really, really struck me about that fight was that uh, I found it challenging to figure out how to talk about the dynamic in which, in which you already named that everyone felt like, who needs this job? There's another one just like it across the street. Um, because that was something I found myself getting stuck on and talking to you all. Um, because, you know, why stay and fight in that case? Um, and you in particular, Tegan, I was really struck that like, it was sort of the principle of the thing that you really wanted to fight over. And I hadn't taken that seriously enough initially as a reason that people might want to stand and fight. And in particular, at the end of the fight, management, if you don't mind my summarizing, management offered to kind of put a, um, like a set of guidelines that they would follow on the wall in the workplace after a couple weeks of kind of a walkout that sort of became a, a lockout in a certain way, but um, they conceded most of the substantive issues, but they held out on the question of, um, they wanted all the workers to promise not to like say anything bad about the company in public, basically. And I admit in that moment, I said, just agree. What are they gonna do? They're gonna watch your Facebook profile? Just agree, you won. And Tegan said, fuck no. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you should say it in your own words, but from what I remember you saying was like, this whole thing was about how I'm going to feel after I've done this and what this is going to mean for my next job and so on. Um, and that was a really powerful lesson for me, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those where I was looking at people who were extremely downtrodden and I was facing a manager who was like, you can't hold out. Like looking at you being like, I can hold your pay and you can go find another job, which is what I want you to do. Or you can keep being a nuisance. And we were all able to look at each other and be like, yeah, nuisance sounds good. <laughs> um, I like that. And I mean, it really was 
was just by the end, it was literally like, we're staying until you fix the issue and you fix it for everyone who comes after us because we know we're replaceable. Like no one who was on that organizing group is still at that store, but it was more about the next group of people that you meet. Like they're going to look you in the eyes too, because you've already had to face your workers once and hopefully putting up these like things that we've already discussed with you and setting up the next group of people will mean you take your workers more seriously in the future. But we just didn't have, you know, not everything ends in like a union. And I don't think that we had the group for that simply because of how fast the turnover was. But I think it's like Ewok was there for the steps that we needed to achieve in order to win a fair workplace for the people that were coming after us as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Just because I think this is probably, I mean, I know from my own life, it's been a common experience, but how many people have worked at a job in which they felt replaceable or in which there was an issue of attrition? Yeah, <laughs> like the whole room. This is Class, an official podcast of the Democratic Socialists of America, National Political Education Committee. My name is Elton L.K. If what you've heard today sounds all too familiar and you'd like to talk to an organizer about how to improve your workplace, the link to Ewok's website is in the show notes. Provide your contact information and a little bit about your workplace. Ewok will get in contact with you. Ewok also has an online four-week training series every month or two, as I understand. And if that is too much commitment, they have organizing resources on their website. I encourage everyone listening to this to go to their website and click on resources. Last, I'll ask if you can afford it. We have a link in the show notes where you can make a donation to Ewok in order to make sure they can help as many workplaces as possible. I'd like to thank Sean Larson from Haymarket Books for sharing the recordings. Casey Sticker as a key member of our tiny team for sound engineering, theme music, and editing. And I'd like to thank Palmer Conrad, our recent addition to the team, for all of the help that he's given to get this episode out.